Hey, everybody. It's uh, Colton Steinbaugh with another episode of the Inspire Podcast. We're providing you fearless B2B sales, marketing, and management insights. Uh, today, we're joined by the Dean Houston Reopening Task Force, um, who had the huge responsibility of getting four offices in the United States all organized, making sure everybody was safe and sound as we entered the recovery period um, after the coronavirus crisis. So with that said, maybe we'll do some quick introductions. Got uh, four people here, so I don't know who's going to go first, but uh, I'll leave it to them. Well, I'll go first then. So <laughs> who was going to step up? Crystal was, but go ahead, Dale, please. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that, Crystal. Uh, yeah, this is Dale. This is the CEO of Dean Houston. And, uh, you know, this is the, uh, the task force that uh, will be introduced here that uh, put everything together for us. So go ahead, Crystal. Hi, I'm Crystal Garcia. I'm Director of Client Services and Operations for our Los Angeles office. I'll go next. Uh, my name is Emma Mendenhall, and I uh, work on HR and finance here at the Chicago office for Dean Houston. And I'm Renee Norman, and I take care of human resources for the organization. Thank you much, everybody. So, you know, obviously the reopening task force. So you all were responsible for keeping a team of, I think, over 100 people in four locations safe in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, I can imagine that is not an easy task. So how about, you know, to, to keep things linear and narrative, let's go back to middle of February before this really started to dominate business operations here, you know, domestically in the United States and things start to trickle out, you know, and we hear that, hey, the, the pandemic is here, you know, we're seeing viral spread. What's the initial thought process from an HR perspective, I don't know, Renee, maybe, you know, as being the resident HR queen here at Dean Houston, you know, what goes through your head at that point in time? Uh, it was actually an overwhelming feeling. This is unprecedented in the history of human resources. I've never had to deal with a pandemic of any sorts. And it was actually a little terrifying, I must admit, to have to consider everything that was going on at one time. So it was, it was crazy for that first period of time. Imagine so, you know, and Emma and Crystal, I know that, that you help really make sure that uh, like HR operations are running in in our two locations in uh, you know Chicago and Los Angeles. I mean, how did that impact you as well? I can imagine a lot of the same feelings as is Renee, um, you know, but but managing satellites in different locations. What did that look? Like? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about it, the the pandemic before this one was before human resources was even a discipline. So, <laughs> so you know, it was just kind of um, early stages. Many people were already kind of staying at home, just given their comfort level with the news and what was going on in February. Um, we did try to get in some trade shows, so people were still traveling, you know, and that was kind of the last, uh, last little bit of that activity. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. We were trying to gear up for something big. Well, and, and Crystal, how about you? I know Los Angeles was one of the areas of the United States hit first. You know, so how, how did that conversation start playing out? You know, for us over here, you know, as you said, you know, it, it hit us uh, earlier than some of our other locations. So 
you know, we were watching the local news and paying attention to what was happening. But for us, it was really important to stay highly connected with Renee and Emma and our other offices and, and really connect daily all through the day and discuss what's happening regionally for all of us so we can move together. So that was really important. And, uh, well, you mentioned connectivity and having to keep all that together. I mean, Dale is a, is a CEO of Dean Houston. What goes through your head at this point in time? Sorry, guys, I had it on, on mute, so uh, you have Sorry, to edit that. the way the world these days. Yeah, but uh, no, uh, you know, actually, you know, when this thing started to unfold, it was uh, late February and really kind of getting into early March because uh, some uh, interesting thing that happened is that, uh, you know, we, you know, culturally, you know, we're trying to build a whole organization of leaders throughout the entire organization. So we have a program called Lead Plus. And we actually had a two-week session for the emerging leaders of the organization. And it happened to be in Cincinnati and happened to be the first and second week of March. So, you know, when the first week uh, came in, you know, the first group came in in March. And really, there was really not much discussion on this pandemic. Uh, it was like March uh, 3rd through the 5th. And, you know, people were talking about it. But it was just kind of a sidebar thing. We had an incident. You know, we have an office in China as well. We kind of knew what was going on there. We were supporting it. We had one of our suppliers who came into Los Angeles around that time. And uh, he wanted to come down to our office, which we didn't really, at that time, you know, this tells you about how naive we were. We really weren't thinking that much about like uh, the severity of this thing. We knew what was going on in China, but we figured it would get under control before it ever got to the U.S. This gentleman comes into the U.S., uh, he contacts us, uh, wants to meet up with our with our person in the Los Angeles office who runs our China office. And, you know, our response was like, oh, yeah, man, it's great. Well, we'd love to see you, you know. Well, instant, the first time we really realized that this was a psychological concern uh, with people was the employees in the office. I get a call from from uh, Crystal. And I think maybe Crystal, if you you probably called Renee, I'm not sure how the the, the sequence of events happened, but anyway, it got back to me, where uh, you know, like, hey, you know, people really aren't comfortable with this guy coming to the office because of this coronavirus, you know. And so we had that's the first step, first time where we had to step back and say, well, wait a minute here, you know, we got to make sure that our that our people are safe, uh, no matter what, you know, even if it's even if it's unfounded, which we didn't know at that time if it was or not. So we took the precaution to say, no, we really can't have you come in the office. We've got to step back and, and look at this differently. So that was really the first start, uh, you know, as, as my recollection uh, as to where this all started. You know, is that is that a fair recollection, Renee and uh, uh, Crystal, from that first incident? Yes, very much so. Correct. Yeah. So, so talking about that then, Colton, the second week we had the Lead Plus. So the first Lead Plus team comes in. You know, this, these are our emerging leaders, okay? And uh, I think you actually, Colton, were in that first group, you know, and, and we, we met at the hotel. We had, uh, you know, we, we, had, we went out for dinners. We did all the normal things that we do, you know, from a social engagement standpoint. And we really, I, if you recall, Colton, uh, Rob, I think you were also there, but, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about the coronavirus. It wasn't, wasn't really the front, up front and central thing there. That was the first week of March. The second week of March, by the time that uh, I think Crystal, your group had rotated in, 
um, there was, uh, you know, a, a more discussion about it. You know, there was much more news going out. So part of the process of the Lead Plus team is that they're looking out, they're identifying areas in the company that we can make improvements in. And we formed uh, four groups and uh, actually we formed five groups, four people per group was the total across the spectrum of people. And they were going to, as a leadership team, they were going to work on specific areas that we could improve in the company and they would own those areas. So that was really the thing. And so you're looking at this and they're doing all this planning prior to this, uh, this whole COVID thing. During that second week, they come in and we start getting the alert that like, hey, they're going to like restrict travel and they're going to require people, uh, you know, it's going to be really difficult to, uh, to, um, to travel anywhere, you know. And so people left then, I think it was like probably March, uh, I'm going to say March 8th, Mar- March 9th or 10th. Uh, Crystal, you, several other people from Los Angeles were in the Need Plus program. Everybody returned back home. And it became apparent, like, within the next week or two that, like, hey, this is, a, this is really going to be something we're going to have to address very closely and, and put some attention on it, you know. So that, Colton, is kind of how we started organizing around uh, how we were going to do this. And we wanted to get every employee in the company to be engaged in this. So we first put this out to the Lead Plus team. We had really multiple levels. We had the Lead Plus team was going to, we kept the same five teams, we had them first address it from their standpoint, collaborate together, look at the situation and what should we do as an organization. Their role was also to reach out to every employee, every direct report that they had. We wanted every employee in the company to have a say in this. Once they came back, that group came back. Each one of the Lead Plus groups came back after having gotten input from all the employees. And then they then turned that over, presented it to the senior leadership team. They presented their plans. At that point, then, we formed a, re- a reopen task force. And the reopen task force took all those plans, and from those plans, they formulated what our final Dean Houston plan was. So every employee in the company was engaged in this process. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there's no worse time for this all to kind of really become part of the conversation than when you've got a large component of your team on the road. But there's probably no better time to have this conversation than when you've got everybody organized and communicating as one. So you take the good with the bad, I guess. Um, you know, but that, that's a really interesting thought, you know, on, on getting everybody in the organization to kind of get all their ideas down. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll turn this to, to Renee and Emma and, and Crystal a little bit. I mean, it's kind of the people in charge of, you know, the, the ultimate execution of this. What did that look like? How were you organizing and communicating with, you know, everybody in the organization as they got their ideas and thoughts down? How, how did that help your process a little bit? Maybe even thinking about, hey, we know we're probably going to have to close soon, but you've got all this information, thoughts, you know, feelings from the greater team. How valuable was that as we started to, to think about what this was going to look like? Well, I think, Colton, when we actually pulled out initially about mid-March because the landscape was changing and and we were concerned ourselves not knowing what were we really up against, the information was very difficult to interpret. And so when we pulled out and the Lead Plus team went through 
their process and procedures and put all of their recommendations together. The next level that we really felt was necessary was our employee survey. We really needed to hear from every individual how they felt about returning, what would be acceptable to them, did they feel safe? Did they have any health concerns or issues that would impact their safety? And again, we have to be careful of HIPAA laws and all the other regulations, but we needed to hear from them. And so the survey was the easiest way to get the responses back to see where our employees were at in a confidential manner, because then nobody knew what each other was saying, only those of us that had access and then we kind of divvied that up. So Crystal was able to talk to her team, Emma, her team, me in Cincinnati. And when you physically get on the phone with someone and say, how are you feeling? What are you thinking right now? What concerns do you have? Not only are they heard, but then you can interpret that information to decide, okay, we have a group of employees that are concerned. Or we have a group of employees that want to return. And how do you dissect and balance that to return to work? That is a challenge, definitely. I think also when we, when we include everybody in the organization into the problem solving and into contributing to the solution, everybody is excited about that. Everybody feels heard, like you said, Renee, and everybody's got a lot of great ideas. You know, so I thought that was really important for us to embrace everybody's feedback and information you know, as we were moving forward and making decisions. Yep, and our survey did include some questions that would flag a personal conversation. So, you know, it was really easy for an employee if they felt like they needed to talk to us directly and didn't want to just call us, they could indicate that on the, on the form, you know, and it was a very low level kind of way to, for us to reach out to them in a, you know, non-threatening way in case it was an awkward situation for them. Now, and I, I can only imagine, like, in cases like this, when safety and health are such a concern, like, it's very important to, to hear everyone in mass, but then also on an individual level. And it sounds like you guys did a great job finding a way to figure out what the, the greater sentiment was across the organization, but also use that as a mechanism to create real meaningful one-on-one -on -one communication, too. And yeah, um, maybe that's something that the audience could use and take that even, uh, you know, we had to exercise this in a pandemic, but I can imagine there's a bunch of applications and business on that. We're not going to dive into that because our audience knows Dale pretty well at this point. And they know that he'll talk for two hours on that topic. No, <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe we'll table that one for later and keep this one focused. But, but I think that that's, that's an incredible insight. No, so. Well, you know, can I add something in there, though, before you go? And I won't talk for two hours, but maybe, you know, two minutes. But, but you know, one of the, one of the concepts behind that, that whole approach was this, is that, you know, we do a lot of uh, work with companies where we're doing brand integrations, where they go in and acquire a company, and they bring it in uh, to their organization. And one of the steps that they typically miss in doing that is uh, understanding the fears, the uncertainty, and the doubts of all the employees that are involved okay so you know it's not very it's not it's very common to hear a ceo say to me that you know i don't understand why they don't get this i keep telling them we keep telling them and that's why we deliberately said we're not taking a, a, a top-down approach we're going to take a bottom-up approach to how we're going to do this now it's not by consensus so i don't want to send the wrong message what this is is letting people know that you're listening to them and you're hearing them once people know that that like seek first to understand, then to be understood. Once people know that you've taken the time 
You've listened to their concerns. You've listened to their input. Only then are they wet, ready and willing to listen to you, okay? So now first thing we did is we got all the information. We distilled all that information. We took all these great ideas that we would have never come up with independently without the whole team involved. But most important thing is everybody knew we cared about them enough to take the time to listen. And at that point then, now we've got total engagement across the entire enterprise. That's, and you can only imagine that uh, that was instrumental, you know, to kind of the next steps here. You know, so as you think about that, Renee, one thing that, that you had mentioned a second ago was, you know, this is all happening. We made the decision to shut down, but the amount of information you know, and maybe even the, the clarity of information on, on the science and, and everything behind the virus. I mean, sure, everybody remembers how many differing viewpoints and opinions and thoughts and even conflicting scientific, you know, kind of feedback was at the beginning of, of kind of, you know, March and, and into early April. How did that process look trying to distill all that from an HR perspective um, you know as, as you and the reopening task force were trying to figure out you know okay we know how we feel internally but what's the information externally that can help us act um, what did that look like where did you go where did you look where did you turn it was information overload you would get 20 30 emails a day from different organizations and sources and I could sit on two to three webinars a day and basically hear the same information. So I found it best to narrow down to about five reputable resources that were consistent, that we could then make the best decisions for the organization and the safety of our employees. And that really narrowed down to the CDC, obviously. Signing up for their newsletter, I would receive that on a regular basis. So I didn't always have to go to the site, though I spent a lot of time at CDC. And also OSHA. Uh, once they set out the foundation of workplace safety, it didn't change much. Uh, occasionally there was an update, but they were pretty reputable and credible, obviously. And then the Society of Human Resource Management, the largest national and international organization for HR professionals, they always had the most up-to-date interpretation of the laws because as all of the stimulus package and the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was coming out, unfortunately, we did not have an interpretation of how do you administer these laws. Here they are, but there was no guidance. And then local labor attorneys here that I connect with in Cincinnati were always giving me the most legal interpretation. It didn't mean that that was going to be the final word, but at least it was a way to go. But first and foremost, the governors in all of our states, where our employees live as well as where we work, because you're talking about two to three different counties, possibly in an area. So when I narrowed it down to five or six sources, and then Crystal and Emma would be able to manage their states, it became an area where we could funnel down and then say, this is it, five to six resources tops and stop all the other noise coming in. Yeah, I, I'll uh, back up Renee's claim to several webinars. You could be on a webinar all day long if you wanted in the early days of this. <laughs> and when we were on conference calls together, you could hear the governor's speeches in the background, you know. <laughs> so it was just news barrage. <laughs> So how do you take that barrage then and start to, you know, obviously you're, you're 
focusing on the news sources that seem to, you know, at the beginning provide the most value. You've kind of got this, this overarching, maybe we call it federal viewpoint, and then you're looking at a, at a regional kind of focus on the, the, the laws, regulations that's happening at that level. How do you start to distill that into an actionable plan, you know, and, and what did that kind of look like for, for Dean Houston? What are, what are some of the core tenants on how, you know, we've started to approach reopening across the different offices that uh, or maybe I'll, I'll ask each to say, what are, what are kind of the aspects that you find most interesting or maybe you're even most proud of and what our resulting plan was? You know, can I jump in here? One thing I, I want to add to this that I thought was really interesting and it's somewhat changed over time is, you know, our concept and understanding of what the new normal is. February, March, you know, you started to hear this term, the new normal, the new normal. And we're all looking at that and thinking about that and thinking, what does this mean? And how long is this going to stay around? You know, and I think, you know, a lot of us thought this is going to be a temporary thing. Things are going to go back to normal. We're going to get past this. Here we are five, six months down the road and the new normal still exists. And, and we look at it today and how has it changed? You know, that was huge that we needed to understand, have a better understanding of what that meant means to us as we started to develop our plans and how that was going to affect everything that we do. Because this is about how it affects our behaviors and just how it affects our reality on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, that's something I want to throw into the conversation because we're talking about digital transformations across the board. We're talking about, you know, increased empathy um, with each other, um, work-life balance and the blend of that. You know, there's a lot of things that we had to take into consideration, you know, into all of our plans. Yeah, I think if I could interject what you're saying there too, Crystal, one of the things, Colton, that we decided to do very, very early on was to have a, uh, an open, transparent communication with all the employees and engage them in the situation. You know, obviously, all this is going on. We're trying to collect all the data. As Renee described, uh, you know, as Emma said, we're attending it. We're trying to absorb as much information as we can to make as, as the best decision possible. One of the best decisions that we made was saying, we don't know. And we're going to engage everybody in the operation uh, in this discussion so they understand you have leaders here that are trying to do the right thing. And we want everybody to know what we're doing. And so I think that was one of the most important things that we did. We're still doing it to this day. Every week we have that, uh, we have that uh, uh, company-wide, um, you know, communications meeting with everybody. Uh, we try to make it, you know, a positive uh, experience, you know, at the same time letting everybody know, hey, we're people just like you. Everybody in the, is in this together. We're one team, one mission, fighting to make sure that we continue to endure this no matter how long it takes, no matter what it takes, we're all in it together. So, you know, the, the rest of you can interject on that, but I think that was one of the earliest decisions we made, and it was one of the most powerful decisions we made. It gave us the ability to operate freely and know that, like, we're going to make mistakes in this process, but we're going to work this out together. Yeah, and kind of an offshoot of what Dale's talking about. We did have a phased in approach. So similar to, you know, a lot of the local governments, we had phase one, two, three, you know, we had a whole phased in approach. And at the end of every phase, we allowed for recalibration, you know, and so we're still in that we know, just like the state governments, you can slide back, you can slide forward. Um, you know, you just have to stay, stay on top of it. 
Yeah, that's a good point. We actually had a, a, a diagram, Colton, that we built early on. We did first, like, just imagine that we show them the biggest concepts first. Hey, you know, we, we had this little graphic that showed, like, the first thing we're doing is collecting information. We want information from you. We want information from the Lead Plus team. We want recommendations. So this phase two, the, re, the reopen task force is going to do these things. They're going to distill this down, phase three. So we made it visual for people, too, everybody in the company, so they understood Every step we're going through, they, they could look out to the future and see. I'll tell you another thing that we did was we, we originally had said to everybody, what is our intention? Our intention is to protect every single person's job here because we're building a business of enduring value that's going to last forever, and you're part of that. So we let everybody know that, first of all, you know, you know, your fear, your uncertainty, your doubt, we can't guarantee that we're going to be able to do this, but we're going to do everything we can to try to protect everybody's jobs here. So then they were more prone to want to engage. But then we showed them the steps. And then we had a seven-step process once we got through to the re reopen task force. And they presented their plan. It broke out into a seven-phase process. And we walked them through every phase. And each week, we would show them where we were in the process and what we were going to do next. And to Emma's point then, if something wasn't working the way we thought because circumstances changed, we, we, we restated that and restated everybody what the recalibration was. So that was a, that's a really good point, Emma. So, you know, looking through that, like, like tangibly, what are, what are some of the core tenets to Dean Houston's reopening philosophy and, and process? Um, you know, maybe things that are, are most notable, Again, like like we had asked a minute ago, maybe the things we're most proud of or, or that we think are getting the most benefit now that we've, you know, started to reopen our offices in a very slow, controlled, and safe manner. Um, what would some of those things be? I can speak to this. Um, so I think one of the, the best things to do is the screening, the daily screening app. So um, all of our employees log on daily to a screening app, as well as our visitors. We have very few visitors, as people can imagine. Um, but, you know, that won't be forever, and we're prepared for that. And it was not that hard. It's just a Google form, you know, with a QR code. Uh, very simple. But I do notice that other companies are doing that, and even schools are trying to do it. Um, colleges are doing it. I don't know that they're doing it as regularly as we are. Um, you know, so that is a bit of a concern for me. But just having people think about those questions and be able to hit yes or no is has value on a daily basis. Yeah, I can only imagine that really keeps proper procedure top of mind for everybody. And I can only imagine, yeah. you know, I, I don't know, but you guys probably get notifications on how people are engaging with that tool, which probably gives you a really good trigger point to maybe know when you need to reinforce, you know, adherence yep. to proper protocol, right? Yeah, one thing I've noticed getting back into the office in person is that you fall into your old habits. So I don't know how many times I've jumped up from my desk without putting my mask on, you know, because I'm like, oh, I just have to go talk to someone really quickly. So, um, you know, it is, it, it, you're in a different environment, so you have to kind of recalibrate that. And it helps to do that by filling out something formally every day. Well, and if, if somebody with probably at this point 10,000 hours of, of uh, COVID webinars is forgetting. You can only imagine what that means for yeah. the rest of 
Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, Re the Reopen Task Force also created this in advance of coming into the office, and we gave people plenty of advance to know when they're going to rotate with the 410 process, the green teams, the blue teams, all that, and the reasons why. But, but they also created the, the, the Healthy at Work documents that uh, everyone could access on the wiki, so they knew what, what was expected. Uh, they just rolled out kind of the protocol. So I think everyone, probably one of the core tenants you asked about was that we care about the employees. We want to make sure that they're safe. We also want to make sure that we retain our cultural dynamic of this creative spontaneity that we have and, uh, and teamwork. So that was one of the reasons, you know, that we were trying to, to, to reopen the office, not before it was time, but not, you know, we didn't want to delay it either, you know, so the reopen task force put together a, a process that would allow us to reopen in the safest way possible. And then, you know, uh, also to make the office environment, you know, kind of self-communicative. So like, for instance, when you would come in, the very simplistic uh, signage that helps people, you know, go in the right directions, understand how many, what the capacity of a room, how many people should be in there, distancing factors. And Renee, uh, you and the others can talk more about that. But it really showed, if nothing else, it expressed to the employees and to guests you know, uh, that we, that we really were doing our best effort to, to keep them safe and, and, uh, and productive. Hey, so you hit on two things there, Dale, that I think are really, really worth unpacking. And the first one you kind of glanced over, but I think our audience would be very interested in this one. And I know we've got, you know, three experts here to kind of dive into that a little bit is you talked about it. Like it's, I think it was a two team rotation and you would tag that as, uh, was the, the 410 strategy or 410 theory. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know, Emma, Renee, Crystal, if one of you wants to jump into that a little bit, because um, I think that that's a very interesting thought. You know, I could start and I'll, I'll pass it to Emma to kind of get deeper into the 410. But originally, when we were collecting everybody's feedback and really imagining, you know, in the new normal, how can we scale operations? You know, what can we do differently? We, we looked at doing a rotation of teams because in most of our offices, we have uh, 20 to 50 plus people. So we need to look at social distancing and six foot distancing of everybody keeping them safe. So we started to look at models of rotations and, and how that would work for, for everybody in each location. You know, and so then that evolved into a, a deeper scientific approach of the 410, which I'll, I'll pass off to Emma to, to share more detail on. Sure. Yeah, this was um, actually a mathematical, like a statistical model that was made in a university in Israel. It was featured in the New York Times. Um, and just in a nutshell, it just says um, that there is a latency period for coronavirus infection, which is three to four days. So if you have a group of people together, um, you can hit on that weak point of the coronavirus where then they would disperse. So they would be in the office for four days. They would be Monday through Thursday. Everyone works from home Fridays. And then that same group that was in the office the following week is working from home Monday through Friday. So, um, you know, if, the, if we can exploit that latency period of the virus in a mathematical, scientific way, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a good bet on our side. Uh, the added benefit of having everybody work from home on Fridays is that we can also get deeper cleaning done. So we have, um, you know, contracted deeper cleaning on some of those days where 
we have no one here. So we can take advantage of that too. Yeah, you get the benefits of, of getting back to some type of a normalcy, but everybody is, is kind of divided. So you're removing, you know, I guess, person density in the office, but then also- Departmental, yeah, and departmental density too, yeah. You're, you're playing to, you know, I guess what we call like the weaknesses in the biology of the virus itself. You know, so that's, right. that's incredibly, I mean, clever props to, to the, the smart people who came up with that, or maybe even the smart people who figured out how to research it, you know, find those people. You know, that's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, I've seen a little bit of it, but I, I think that's something we really embraced that uh, has really, really helped. Um, yeah, it was a cool idea. And, you know, again, this is where, you know, being open-minded to this, so the return, the reopen task force, you know, they had taken all this data, all this information, listened to all these seminars. You know, they, they took all the lead plus. It was great sitting and listening to these lead plus teams and all the employees. And they came back with these really elaborate plans, uh, really well thought out. We were able to pull things for each of them. But, but to Crystal's point, we didn't really have what we felt at that time was, uh, 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 you know, a solid, you know, way to rotate the teams in, you know, we were, we were looking at floor plans, we we're looking at all these different things. So, you know, when Emma, you know, presented that 410 that, that she had found, it was like instantaneous, you realize like that would actually work. And then putting that into play, you know, the kind of the first thing we did was, was we just kind of openly expressed it to the whole company like on one of our Wednesday meetings, just to give people the idea and just kind of set that to say like, hey, this is what we're thinking about, you know? And the reception to that was was really, really uh, good because of the scientific kind of approach to it. So I think uh, if I recall, that's kind of how that thing got rolling then, Colton. Uh, absolutely. And then, you know, so we've got people coming in, you know, kind of in, in, in shifts with, you know, very conscious kind of delays and staggering you know, to, to help prevent, you know, potential infection spread, which is obviously a, a, an incredible process. But what are the things in the office that really, you know, you have all instituted to kind of help promote proper social distancing and, and sanitation, maybe from like a, a, an equipment or, or hard goods standpoint that have really helped us make sure that the whole team is, is keeping you know, proper sanitation, top of mind, and also helping maybe control people flow in the physical space and, and things like that. Where did you turn and, and what are the strategies that we're implementing there? Well, obviously, the safety of our employees is first and foremost in our mind and also considering the anxiety levels that some of our employees have in returning because when you walk into the front door and you see desk shields up and you see signage, for some employees that could be comforting, for others that could create another level of stress and overwhelming because the reality of how different the office looks from when you left in March can be just staggering for some employees. So. The office hygiene was really important for us to create that environment where they felt safe, where they could see that this is serious and we need your help. The three of us, Crystal, Emma, and I, we can't obviously do it all ourselves. And so we did solicit cleaning teams, and we do have a rotating cleaning schedule in Cincinnati. So apart from the signage, which I'll let one of the others discuss, we also put in place different types of cleaning stations. So 
for mid-morning, mid-afternoon, different individuals go into the conference rooms, go into the kitchen, uh, the copiers, our workroom, high-touch areas, and we have cleaning supplies. So there are paper towels and special solutions for the computers and special solutions for the copiers and the disinfectant spray for the counters and the tables. And so during those periods of day, they go in automatically and wipe everything down, just kind of like clockwork, just to make sure that any high touch areas are taken care of. But what's also important that you don't think of initially is we think of our own office area, but what about our common areas in the building? So those of us that don't own our own building, we have how many other employers that you know, using the front door, using the elevator, walking through the restrooms, we have no control over that. So you really need to engage the building management where your office resides to make sure that they're not only going to comply with whatever the state regs are or CDC, but how can you ensure that your employees are safe when they're in that elevator? So that communication, that signage, those requirements were as important for us, not just once they walk through our office door, but what do we do when we get them from their car to their desk? It, it was a whole process you have to consider. You know, I, I do want to add one point here, Renee, because this, this was something that we hadn't considered. Uh, and then, you know, it's like when things start to unfold, you have this great plan, but then things start to unfold. And then you realize like, oh, this is a gap. And what Renee had touched on there just briefly, and she took this, you know, like she kind of drove this whole thing is – in our office, we're in a five-story building. And there's lots of other tenants in there. And none of them had the level of planning behind them that we had. You know, they hadn't put this kind of thought into it. And so, you know, we were sure, Renee, share with us a little bit about like how that building, how the, how the tenant kind of committee that you pulled together to get everybody kind of working on the same page. Because it was about protecting our employees. But then we also extended out to helping other people protect their employees in the effort of, of engaging them to help protect our employees so if you could share that even with building management that i think you did just that was an incredible thing that you did there and and if you could share that'd be great oh thank you so we were concerned about the safety of the building prior to covid and so i took it upon myself with karen razzo's assistance our office manager to introduce ourselves to each and every tenant in that building to just put a group of tenants together that we're concerned and that we would keep ourselves engaged with each other. We would alert each other of what's happening in the area, in the community, if something was going on in the surrounding other offices, we would try to stay in touch so that we could be safe. And it really was a great group. We only met maybe once or twice a year. And then when COVID hit, because we had started that group, we started to communicate with each other via email. What are you doing? What is your company plans? How are you feeling? How are your employees feeling? So we were able to share what was going on in our building. And through that, we contacted the building management to try to make sure that they were going to follow procedures. The nice thing about the tenants is we were able to share what are our return to work plans? When are you coming back? What does that look like? We agreed ourselves that we were going to designate stairwells up and down. We agreed ourselves that we were going to require our employees to wear masks, even if it wasn't a requirement in the state at the time. So because we had that cohesiveness, we felt that even without building management support, which we eventually got, we were going to take all the steps necessary. And we reached out to the building management, worked through some hiccups, had some obstacles, 
in the end, they agreed that we're going to do everything we can to keep all of our tenants safe. And Dean Houston put up specific signage on the floors that really support the social distancing and the temperatures. So we came to an understanding, but the tenants, we had it rocking way before that. We were going to stay safe. Yeah, no, that, uh, that's an incredible story and insight there. And I think it even kind of reinforces, we had on this earlier, like the, the value and importance of having a good communication process in play across everybody that you're involved with. Right? Like you said, you were able to get all the tenants in the building together really quick and work together. You know, you saw that same element and then how we worked internally a little bit too. You know, so I, I think that's an incredible you know, high level thought there. But you, know, you did mention a little bit about the signage and that you wanted to pass that to somebody. So I don't know, Emma or Crystal, I know signage in those visual cues can be so important as reminders and to help kind of guide. Um, how did we utilize that here, you know, at Dean Houston? You know, signage for us was extremely important. You know, coming into the office, once we're in the office, as Emma had mentioned earlier, you know, you tend to fall back into your old habits and you just get right into the office. You want to go to your desk and just kind of do your thing. So we, we created and developed, um, a lot of signage that was visually pleasing to the eye, but that was was very communicative in the sense that you knew exactly what you needed to do as you're moving through the office. You know, you don't have these loud abrasive stop signs, but you have very visually pleasing communication points, you know, arrows and directions that will allow us to know which direction of flow we're going in. And so that way it'll prevent areas where we may, at you know, in the past cross paths, but now we don't need to, because we're all gonna follow the same paths and directions. So there's a lot of great signage that really is important to have in the office. You know, wh whatever type of business you're running, you need to have this because your employees need to understand. In common areas, uh, you have you have a sign right behind uh, right behind you, Colton. Sanitize after use. We all know this. We talk about it all day. But if we're not seeing these signs, it's not top of mind. So things like that are extremely important, especially signage about temperature checks. You know, if you have visitors coming in, you might have vendors coming in to check your air conditioning unexpectedly or you know, um, the janitors coming by, you you don't anticipate them coming. You've got signage and QR codes up that they can scan, they can do their temperature check. It's great for us in terms of uh, potential contact tracing if we ever need that. So a lot of that is extremely important. Yep, I'd like to just reiterate Crystal's point of it being visual, visually appealing. You know, this is not a two week throw up a printed sign from the printer kind of situation we're in right now. So um, our signs look great. They really look cool. We've got capacity signs on each room. Um, the chairs where the conference room chairs go, we have chair signs on the carpet. We have uh, signs that we can walk on that aren't affected by vacuums. So we have high quality, really, really nice signs. You know, and to that point, you, know what? you, you don't realize what six feet really is between two people. You, you think you're six feet apart and you're usually really not. And so we have signs on the floor to really show you where to stand if you want to talk to someone, which is extremely helpful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I wanted to add one of the points you just made, Crystal and, and Emma, both of you talked about, like, people just drop in your office, like, and, and they're, they're, they're used to doing it, you know, like, hey, we got to fix the, the HVAC or, hey, we got to change these light bulbs. You know, this is the building management uh, teams and so, so forth. So, one of the things that, that we did too, Colton, was, uh, and I'm not sure, guys, how, how you did this or how this was developed. You may want to talk a little bit about how you assigned this, but, but people in the office 
were, were given the accountability, the responsibility of being the steward of this. And, you know, again, we said, you know, you know, be courteous, be, be uh, polite to people, but also, you know, no tolerance. There's zero tolerance for not complying with the protocols. So like when people would just walk into our office, if they're coming from an environment where they're not being, where their company is not asking them to take these special precautions, they're naturally not thinking about it. So could you guys like talk about that? Because that's an important part of this with the signage and everything is, is reminding people and making them aware of it. Because people walk in your office, not even see the sign, not even pay attention to them. That's a good point. And, you know, I believe Emma took the lead and developed a great flyer for our visitors that gives them all the information that they need to prepare to come visit us. So whether it's our clients, unexpected visitors, they, they'll know all the steps they need to take. Take your temperature, fill out our form, submit it, and do the things that are necessary to keep themselves safe as well as keeping everybody in the office safe as well. Yeah, and the rest of the world seems to be adopting a lot of the pre-screening things that we adopted early on. So, you know, you go to the dentist, people are getting used to filling out pre-screening apps or forms online. Um, you know, so as that time goes on, I think visitors and people that stop by will be less surprised by our procedures we have in place. Yeah, and, I, and again, I still, and I do think, like I said, one of the steps you guys put in place was, like I know in our office, uh, like John Dubay, he's, uh, he's our creative director. He was given the assignment on his rotation he gets up from his desk a couple times, you know, uh, you know, an hour. He walks around the office, make sure people are wearing their masks, make sure people are following the rules. He does it very politely, but but it's a no nonsense, zero tolerance thing, you know. So, you know, assigning a steward in your office, Karen at the front desk at our Cincinnati office, when visitors come in, she immediately lets them know what the what the protocols are. So, I think that's an important step too that that people need to adopt. Absolutely. And, and, you know, obviously they say repetition is the uh, father, mother, sister, brother, and best friend of learning. And it seems like that's something that these visually appealing kind of graphics can really help, you know, achieve. Um, what are some of the other creative ways that we've kind of adopted, you know, I guess, new equipment in the office to kind of help keep people safe outside of the signage? So the Chicago office put in, we have an open office concept and um, we have desk dividers on our desks. We used to have um, groupings of, of two to four desks together. And, you know, we thought long and hard about, are we just going to split them all apart and make them far apart from each other? Are we gonna keep our configuration so we can kind of keep our, our regular traffic flow? Um, so what we did is with the 50% capacity, we're able to keep distancing and then we have um, clear high dividers that are, are beautiful, custom made for our desks. Um, you know, they look great. We still have that same light and airy feeling and I think mentally it might help people, you know, come back and feel a little bit safer. It's not fully a cubicle. <laughs> but it's something, it's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I think they're, I think they're fantastic. It's a great idea as well. You know, one of the things that I thought was fantastic is that we, we all are following the same guidelines. We're all using the same signage. We're all, we're all operating the same. We are all over the country and we're in different states at different stages 
uh, with COVID. And even though we're in different stages, all of the guidelines, all of the policies and things we've set in place have worked fantastically no matter where we're at. And if it allowed us to continue to move together through this thing day by day, no matter what changes. So it's been really great utilizing all the signage, all the policies, all the rules and regulations we've set in place. It's really worked no regardless of the stage that we're moving through. And we, we also, Colton, set up little uh, desk kits. So when the employees came back the first time, it was like a little cubby. And in it, we had small little bottles, probably about this high, of hand sanitizer, desk cleaner, and a little microfiber towel to be used with their computer equipment and tissues. And it was just our way of saying, you know, welcome back. We're glad you're here. You don't have the stress of figuring out how do I clean my desk? What do I need to do? We're going to give you everything you need to get settled and provide those supplies. And I think that really helped that ease that stress and give a comfort level when they first walked in the door. And I, I think that that comfort is, is really important. I know one thing we haven't, we haven't mentioned yet, though I think it might fall into the realm of that kit you mentioned, Renee, is you know obviously proper mask protocols and, and things like that can be really important how as an organization have we kind of approached you know equipping everyone with masks making sure that uh that we're, we're properly covered from that perspective no, i'll take that you know as an organization we all have our masks we've got our our branded masks, you know, as part of our company spirit and our culture, of course, for us, but, you know, we all have masks. We're utilizing face shields where it makes sense, especially with our trade show group. Um, those things are extremely important. A lot of our meetings right now are video conference, but, you know, in the office together, when we need to be together, there's a huge takeaway for me in this whole process has been the psychology of fear in that if I feel safe, I can do my best work. So, for me, it's, it's, it's about that for our team and our organization is that it's the PPE kit that Renee just mentioned. It's all the signage. It's, it's utilizing the masks and the face shields and having access to all of those things for all of our employees. And that if we all have access to that, if it's, it's front of mind and it's in front of us, that we're going to feel safer and we can do our best work together. We can continue to move forward. And yeah, I think that, that that psychology of fear, I mean, that's incredible. And, and, control over the physical environment, making sure it's properly equipped can be so valuable to, to kind of achieving that that level of comfort. Now, one, one question I'd have, and this, this one might be interesting, is, you know, access to those types of things can be difficult, right? So like supply chain issues for things like PP, distancing graphics and all those things can be very challenging. How has Dean Houston kind of approached those supply chain I guess, potential struggles, it seems like we're pretty well outfitted. How did we approach that and what did that look like? Well, in the beginning, it actually was a challenge to get your hands on hand sanitizer was horrific or even paper towels, you know, at some point and desk wipes. So I think that our delayed opening was somewhat impacted by the lack of supplies. We didn't want to open the doors until we knew we had the proper supplies to clean, disinfect, and protect the area. And so at some point, I was telling Karen, the office manager, if you can find a 30-day supply of hand sanitizer, buy it. Because at some point, we're going to need it, or the touchless hand sanitizer dispensers. 
you couldn't find those anywhere in the beginning. And if you could, they were triple, double, you know, the price. So that was a challenge, Colton, deliberately. I wouldn't recommend that you really start to reopen until you're sure that once you're there, you can provide everyone the necessary equipment that they need. That's the last thing you want to run out of are essential supplies. It's, a, it's an incredible insight. How about the, uh, the, the sourcing, like maybe the, the graphics and signage and things like that? And I know I'm, I'm bordering on a very leading question here, and I'm sure yeah. the audience will <laughs> understand why uh, once you yeah. get into it. So, so, yeah, go ahead, Emma. The nice thing about the signage and the dust dividers is that we do have, you know, we are lucky enough to have a, a branch of Dean Houston that is in the trade show world, um, Exhibit Logistics. They have awesome high high capacity print uh, capabilities and custom custom capabilities. So our dust dividers came from them. Our signage came from them. Um, you know anything that is high end graphically pleasing comes from them, and, and it's been awesome materials. So that's that was one thing. They're already in the supply chain, so we didn't have to worry about supply chain as much as we did. Crystal, Renee, and me looking for supplies out in the wild, um, they were already injected in that supply chain for those items. So they had been able to pivot to do masks and face shields as well. Um, so we were definitely benef benefit benefiting from that. Okay, well, again, don't want to be too self-promotional here because that's not the point. Um, you know, but, but yeah, if uh, I, I guess, is it, is it safe to say I'm a... If you need sanitizer, you let us know if you've got a source, but if you need anything else, maybe maybe we can help you. Yeah, yeah. I got a guy for that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in, in, in all honesty, though, I mean, you know, yeah, obviously we, we do have ties with a company that does that, but you know, it's safe to say our strategy, and that's why we're all gathered here today, is really to, you know, give back to the, the business community and, and help people through our experiences. Um, you know, so I truly appreciate you all kind of being part of this. And I know, you know, if anybody has any other questions, I know you've got a team here that is probably more than willing to answer a few questions. You can check out exhibitlogistics.com, the website of the partner you mentioned, Emma, um, where we've got a lot of the things you covered, like in writing and, you know, white papers and blog posts and there. I think there's some other freebies. I, I think anybody want to cover some of that? Crystal, you want to cover that or do we cover it? Um, go ahead, Emma. Okay, yeah. So we have some some free, you know, printable PDFs and um, some of our formatting that we've done in-house is uh, is right there, free. Nothing and, better than free. <laughs> and, and obviously we invite everybody, you know, to, to, to jump in. And if you've got questions maybe on how this could work for your business, even the equipment footprint, things like that. I mean, we're, we're really about consultation right now. So, you know, enough of the self-promotion because that, that's exhibitlogistics.com. I'm really done. But to get back to the spirit of it, you know, I, and, and maybe the closing thoughts here with the team is, you know, obviously none of us are fortune tellers. Obviously things continue to change and they will. Um, but looking forward, what are the big things that you would recommend that, that people start to, well, HR departments, operations departments, you know, anybody who's really working with a business to empower its people, what are the key things that, that each you have, you know, is your big takeaways? What would you recommend the audience really leave this conversation with? 
don't know who wants to start, but I'll throw it up. There. I can start. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I mean, at the core of everything, it's been a back and forth communication. So not just one way, like Dale mentioned, not top down. You know, we built our structure bottom up and, you know, it worked for us. It may not work for everyone, um, but we're a pretty nimble organization. So we are lucky enough to be able to do that. So can't communicate enough. You know, and I would say, you know, un please understand, try to understand what the new normal is for your business, what that means for you and your business. And then also the psychology of fear and safety for you and your team of utmost importance. For me, I would say it's uh, two words, flexible and fluid, because you may think you have a plan today and in 48 hours it looks different. So you have to be prepared to adjust as just things adjust around you. You can't just say this is it because it's, it's just not going to stay. And finally, you know, I would add, if you can hear me, is that, you know, to have a team like this around you, you know, so empower your people and trust them. They know what they need to do. They're the experts. And, uh, you know, that's been, uh, you know, super beneficial for us. I think that, that brings us to just about an hour on the dot. So I, I don't know, studies show that's a pretty good sweet spot for ending a podcast. But, uh, you know, Emma, Renee, Crystal, Dale, I mean, this was incredible. I, I think that the amount of insights and just hearing the story of how a professional services firm kind of tackled this and, and everything we continue to do, you know, hopefully it's going to give our audience a lot of inspiration and, and that'll help them help their people. You know, which again is really what this is all about. So, you know, thank you so much. Um, and to the audience, thank you for listening. And uh, I know we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Yep. It's a Bye, pleasure. everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks.